0: All right. Well, good morning again. Glad that we could all be back um, together again this morning. Um, uh, I've had a chance to preach a little bit more often this summer uh, in light of Pastor Brett's uh, being on sabbatical. So here I am again today. If you happen uh, to maybe not know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. And as I've had the chance to preach here this summer, we're basically moving through um, a summer series working through the book of 1 Thessalonians, so we're going to keep doing that this morning. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. If you happen not to have a Bible, you could raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. We're going to finish out chapter 2 today and all the way through chapter 3 as well. Uh, But, uh, before we read from there again, uh, just please pray with me one more time. So, Lord, thank you very much again for the chance to gather here this morning, and I would simply pray that you would help us to hear from you, um, help us to believe what is true, and help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's read. Actually, would you stand with me? This is a little bit of a longer passage and since we sat through that last song, let's stand as we read this morning. Uh, this will be chapter 2, verse 13, all the way through chapter 3. So Paul is writing and he says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews... ...who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God. And they oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers for a short time in person not in heart we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you i paul again and again but satan hindered us and for what for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our lord jesus at his coming is it not you for you are our glory and joy For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would have been in vain. But now that Timothy has come from us to you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and afflictions, we are or we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. You can have a seat. Amen. So really with this passage today, I think we really get reminded of the overall setting and the circumstances that are surrounding uh, this letter and ultimately really the reason why Paul would write this letter in the first place. And with that then, we really see the, the heart of Paul's love for this young church. We see the, the heart concern that he has for them. Uh, we, we, we see what his hopes are for them. We see really the big picture aim of his preaching and teaching and why he spent time with them and why he wants to get back to them to spend more time with them. And this will be important for us to take in Because really, as we hear Paul's heart here for the Thessalonians, we should be hearing God's heart for us as well. For those of us who are among God's people. As we hear Paul and his concerns for the Thessalonians, we should be hearing God's concern for all of his people at all times and in all places. Now, who are God's people? I mean, does that actually apply to us? Are we God's people well, God's people are those who are united to Jesus by faith. God's people are those who trust the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. It's God's people are those who turn away from their sin against God and they turn to Jesus, to believe in him for the forgiveness of their sins, to believe in Jesus alone for that, to believe in Jesus alone for favor with God, to believe in Jesus alone for the promise of being forever with God and his people for eternal life. Those are God's people. And so if that is you, then you can see here, as we see why Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians and his heart for them, you really can see God's heart for you as part of God's people yourself. And here it is, the bottom line. This is why Paul is writing, I think, it comes in the form of a prayer uh, all the way at the end, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Paul prays there again. He says, May God establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's it. That's what Paul wants for the Thessalonians, and that is what God wants for his people. Today, It's that our hearts would be established, that they, that they would be stabilized and established, blameless in holiness before God when Jesus returns. Now, we can say that in uh, some different ways, this, this idea of being blameless in holiness. Um, uh, Paul, at other parts of the letter, Paul mentions walking in a manner worthy of God. Uh, Paul mentions pleasing God these are different ways to say and to think of this idea of being blameless in holiness. Um, essentially, this means that we would be set apart to be counted among God's people. Okay? And as such, we would then live a life that is pleasing to God. We would live a life that accords with that identity as being set apart to love and to, to serve God. That we would, we would live a life that truly does trust in his promises. We'd live a life that obeys his commands. Uh, this is being blameless in holiness. And, and this, uh, what's especially important to see here is the timing of this that Paul has in mind. Um, the concern here is not just that we would be holy right now, today, on this Sunday afternoon. But it's that we would persevere through life, all the way to the very end at that time when Jesus returns. It's that we would essentially finish the race, so to speak. Uh, That we wouldn't just run a few miles of the race, but we would actually finish the race. We'd run the whole race and we'd finish it out. Um, Several years ago, I had a buddy who ran the uh, Twin Cities Marathon, and, uh, and just to support him, uh, there was a, a few miles in the race that I just jumped in and I ran alongside of him. Just wanted to support him, wanted to cheer him on. So, so maybe I ran a few miles of the Twin Cities Marathon that year. Um, but I didn't run the Twin Cities Marathon, right? I mean, you have to run the whole race and you got to cross the finish line if you're going to get that finisher's medal. And that's, that's what Paul's heart here, here is here. He, it's about finishing the race. That's what ultimately matters. is that we'd run the whole race and that we would finish the race, that we would persevere all the way to the end. That's Paul's heart here. And so to that end, to spur the Thessalonians on to that end, uh, let's, uh, we can notice a couple, thing that, couple things that Paul wants to do in this section of, of the letter. First of all, he wants to reassure the Thessalonians that they are, in fact, part of God's people. He wants to reassure them of that. And he wants to reassure them, number two, uh, of his love for them, his concern for them, his care uh, for them. And then he's also, number three, going to set them up to give them further instructions that are going to come in the remainder of the letter. So we'll look at these things a bit here this morning. First of all, uh, reassurance of their standing with God. Paul wants to reassure the Thessalonians of their standing with God. He wants to reassure them that, uh, of their calling. He wants to reassure them that they are, in fact, chosen by God, that they are, in fact, part of God's people. Uh, Paul is confident that they are part of God's people uh, because, number one, they actually received the gospel that Paul preached. And they actually believed that as Paul spoke, he was speaking the very message of God. He was speaking for God. They actually believed that. We see that in verse 13. And Paul thanks God for that, so he's giving credit where credit is due. God actually moved and acted upon the Thessalonians here to give them to trust this message of the gospel, to give to the Thessalonians that they would believe that Paul's words were actually the the very words of God. And that is a sign that, in fact, they are part of God's people. And then secondly, more evidence for Paul, uh, it's that he he reminds the Thessalonians that they were persecuted. They're they're in the midst of persecution, and here Paul is writing to them, and he essentially reminds them of this fact. They were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. We see that in verses 14 to 15. And, And strange as it seems, this also is evidence for Paul that the Thessalonians are in fact in good standing with God. And he wants them to know that. And it's evidence that they are, in fact, part of God's people because persecution is what happens to God's people. This is what happens to God's people. And the Thessalonians were suffering, essentially, uh, their, their suffering essentially grafted them in to this long lineage of God's suffering people before them. Um, so... Th- Jesus, of course, was, was suffered. He suffered. He, of course, was persecuted. Paul was, of course, persecuted. The prophets, uh, probably referring there to, to Christian prophets, um, uh, uh, messengers of Jesus, they were uh, persecuted before them. The first churches, uh, the first Christian churches were persecuted in Judea. This is what happens to God's people, Paul is saying. They get persecuted. Persecuted. He says that in chapter 3. In, in uh, chapter 3, verses 3 to 4 again, Paul says, you yourselves know that you are destined to, for this, or that we, were, we are destined for this, destined for affliction like this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand, before it happened, that we were to suffer affliction just as, as has come to pass, just as you know. And so for the Thessalonians, their persecution is, it's not a sign that somehow they're doing something wrong. It's not a sign that somehow they're believing something that is false. On the contrary, it is a mark of their genuine faith in Jesus. And Paul wants to reassure them of that. And for us too, as we today follow Jesus, as Paul said to them, God is saying to us here today, we are destined for this. We are destined for persecution. Expect persecution. When you share the gospel with somebody, when you try to help people to understand the teaching of Jesus, when you try to urge people to follow after Jesus, you will at times be persecuted. And it's not just that that um, uh, some will simply not believe what you're saying, but it's that some will in fact actively oppose you. Uh, some will actually actively op- oppose you're trying to share the gospel. That's, that's what's going on here in verses uh, 14 to 15 or what's being talked about, the Jews there. Not, not just Jews generally, but certain Jews that opposed, uh, that didn't just reject Jesus, but opposed Jesus. They opposed his followers. They actively worked to oppose Jesus' followers. They actively worked to oppose the spread of the gospel. And, and we should expect that as well. Um, It's been said that disappointment comes from unmet expectation or unmet expectation leads to disappointment. I think that's true. When we uh, uh, think something's going to happen, we expect something's going to happen and that thing does not happen or vice versa, we get discouraged. We get disappointed. So, manage your expectations. Okay, have right expectations. Um, You will at times be opposed You will at times be persecuted. You will at times be hindered from speaking the gospel. That's what happens to God's people. And so if you are, in fact, a part of God's people, then expect that. And related to that, um, notice in chapter 2, verse 16, related to being opposed and hindered. uh, In chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says that those who hinder the gospel... He says they are filling up the measure of their sins, and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. And I think what Paul is saying there, um, I think this is, this is essentially a prophetic word by Paul, I think. So basically, Paul is so certain that those who hinder the spread of the gospel will in fact be condemned by God. He's so certain of it that he's, he's basically announcing it right now as if it's already happened, past tense. Uh, while, in fact, uh, this wrath is still in process. The, and the, the filling up of sins is still in process. In other words, the idea here, I think, is that um, if we picture uh, God's wrath filling up, and actually the Bible does use imagery like this, like the, the cup of God's wrath. And if you can picture the, 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 the cup of God's wrath, it's, it's filling up with every sin it fills up a little more. With every sin of hindering the gospel from advancing, it fills up a little more. It fills up, it fills up, and eventually, inevitably, it spills over. It's poured out. And I think Paul is essentially announcing a prophetic word here to that effect. And listen, I know the, the idea of speaking about God's wrath, I know that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, it, it, it's not... Um, comfortable. It can be difficult to think about God causing anybody to suffer, um, even if they're suffering for their sin. But actually, difficult as it is to consider, I think Paul actually intends for this to be comforting to the Thessalonians. He wants this to be a comfort to them. It's meant to comfort them because to speak of God's wrath. This is a way of saying that God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. And so in the Thessalonians case, their persecutors, their persecutors would not get away with it. Justice will be served. And more generally speaking, these, these people who are hindering the gospel, they will not ultimately get away with it. They will be dealt with. Um, Ultimately, as Paul points out here, to hinder the spread of the gospel, this is to hinder the opportunity for people to hear about Jesus and be saved. This is a big deal. Uh, Paul points out here that from God's perspective, that is an affront to all of humanity. To hinder the gospel from being spread is a massive disservice to all of humanity from God's perspective. Um, It'd be like if you had a cure for cancer, and somehow some people were hindering you from actually dis- dispensing that cure to people. But in fact, it's 10 billion times worse than that because it's not just this life that's at stake, but in fact, it is eternal life. Uh, John Piper has pointed out, he said, we care about suffering, especially eternal suffering. We care about suffering. We ought to care about suffering, especially Eternal suffering. And from God's perspective, to hinder the spread of the gospel, that's what's at stake. Eternal suffering. To hinder the gospel is to hinder the one and only cure that we have available to us for sin. Which if sin is left untreated, it is going to cause this eternal suffering under the wrath of God. And so ironically, when, when you are labeled a bigot, When you are labeled uh, uh, hateful, when you are labeled narrow-minded, or whatever it might be, because you believe that Jesus is the only way to God, or because you you want people to know that if you reject Jesus, there are these consequences, or, or whatever it might be, when you are slandered in those ways because of that, understand this, that in fact, from God's perspective, you are doing a very good thing. From God's perspective, you're doing a very good thing. To hinder the gospel is to oppose all mankind, but to spread the gospel from God's perspective, it's the opposite. It's, it's to help all mankind. It's to do good for all mankind. It's to serve all mankind by serving the very best interests, by meeting the very uh, best interests of, of all of mankind. So we carry a very good thing with us in the gospel. We carry the very means by which people can be saved from the wrath of God. Despite the fact that many would think the exact opposite. So, you know, let's not put our heads in the sand. What we believe here about the gospel, many, many people think the exact opposite. And what we believe to be the good of mankind, many, many people think that it's terrible for mankind. So let's not put our heads in the sand. Let's understand that. But from God's perspective your efforts to spread the gospel, this is a mark, in fact, of your blamelessness in holiness, as Paul talks about. This is a mark, in fact, as however you might be persecuted because of that, that sets you in a long lineage of genuine followers of Jesus before you. You are God's people. You've you've accepted the gospel despite persecution. Let's let that spur us on. Let's let that encourage us today. And so... Paul wanted to reassure the Thessalonians that they were God's people, and he's done that, and now he also wants to reassure them of his care for them, his love for them, his concern for them. And uh, we see that pretty much from chapter 2, verse 17, all the way to the end of chapter 3. And that section really also gives us a nice sort of reminder of the overall context, the overall setting of of the, the letter here. And so remember that when Paul was initially in Thessalonica, he preached the gospel there, people believed him, and ultimately a church was planted. But eventually then some Jews, some jealous Jews, as he calls them, they, they, they opposed Paul and they stirred up a crowd of both Jews and non-Jews and essentially drove them out of town. And now at, at chapter 2, verse 17 here, Paul says he was torn away from them. Uh, and that's actually really uh, strong language in the Greek. It's, it's, uh, it's to be orphaned. So it's like a, a parent and a child being orphaned from one another or being ripped apart from one another. Um, I can remember, and some of you maybe have seen this movie. I think it's called Impossible. But I've also seen a, like a, another movie about it. But it's about the tsunami uh, that hit several countries in 2004 in uh, some of the countries in the Indian Ocean. And I remember watching this movie, and there's this scene there where uh, a parent is—they're is, grasping the child, and they get just hit by this massive wall of water. And there's this tragic scene where, at one point, the they—they're separated. The the child is torn out of the parents' hands, and it's just this tragic scene there. And that's the picture here in Paul's heart. This is just devastating. To Paul, this is what he feels like having been been driven away from the Thessalonians. He wants the Thessalonians to know that he loves them dearly, and he didn't want to leave at all, but he was forced out. He was driven out. He was torn away from them, and being torn away from them, uh, he's deeply still concerned about them. And he wants very much to get back to them. He wants them to know that. But he keeps meeting roadblocks. He's tried repeatedly to get back to them. Again and again, he says. And he keeps meeting roadblocks. He says Satan hindered him. Satan hindered him. Um, And I I don't think we can know exactly what Paul has in mind here by Satan hindering him here. But clearly Satan was involved. Or Paul wouldn't have mentioned it. So... Uh, this isn't fairy tales. There is such a thing as satanic and demonic attacks. There are such things as satanic and demonic activity that very much opposes the welfare of God's people, very much opposes the spread of the gospel. And I think very often when those attacks come, they don't often come in any sort of weird, strange, uh, dark sort of mystical, mystical way, but they come in the concrete actions of people. Satan works through people. Satan hindered Paul, it says here in verse 18. But earlier in verse 16, he said that certain Jews hindered the spread of the gospel. So what, however it works out, I think Paul is saying that at least part of the reason that he and his co-workers were not able to get back to uh, Thessalonica is because, uh, part of that reason is because Satan was involved. He was influencing people. He was stirring people up to oppose Paul and block his way of getting back to the Thessalon- Thess- uh, getting back to Thessalonica. So bottom line here with this again, Paul wants to reassure the, the Thessalonians of his care for them. He wants to reassure them of his love for them. So Paul is saying, listen, I love you. And, and I want to get back to you. I never wanted to leave you in the first place. I've been trying to get back to you. But there's a strong forces at work getting in the way. And so my absence should in no way be taken as lack of concern or lack of care. I very much want to get back to you. I'm trying. And I think that that should help us. Uh, today as well. It should help to further uh, manage our expectations. Um, we should hear in this too that as Paul is, is expressing his love and concern for the Thessalonians, we should hear God expressing his love and his care for us as well. Um, uh, he, he wants the very best for us and still somehow, way, under God's good, sovereign control, he does allow Satan some freedom Uh, by which he is still very active in the world to oppose the spread of the gospel, to oppose the welfare of of God's people. And yet, he is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And and when he does, he'll ultimately set everything right. All all sin, uh, all of its broken effects, all causes of sin, Satan himself... These will all be dealt with, and the world will be set in order, just the way that it would accord with God's good designs for it. Paul wanted to get back to the Thessalonians. Jesus is coming back. Um, in Matthew 13, Jesus himself says this. Matthew 13, he says that the, the he, uh, the Son of Man, as he calls himself, the Son of Man will send his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, Jesus says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And uh, in Revelation 20, Revelation 20 verse 10, the apostle John there says, says that Satan himself will be thrown into what he calls the lake of fire. How's that for imagery? The lake of fire where John says Satan will be tormented day and night forever. And I think that's basically that's going to be the fulfillment of Paul's prophetic word there in chapter 2 verse 16 that God's wrath will be poured out. That will happen when Jesus comes back with all his saints, as, as Paul says there in, in chapter 3, verse 13. His saints there, probably actually not referring to people, but referring to angels. Those angels that will be coming back with Jesus. Um, so we can take courage. Because even, uh, even though Satan will stir up people against us. Even though we're going to he'll he'll work on us in some way shape or form uh, working with the sinful nature of our own heart as we wrestle with that. Certainly we're going to hit roadblocks in our efforts to be faithful to Jesus in our efforts to persevere, excuse me, persevere and stay faithful. But still, that doesn't mean that somehow God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that somehow God doesn't care or that he's lost control. It doesn't mean that he's going to leave us as perpetual orphans. No, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. As Paul says later, chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 17, when he does come back, then we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. And really in the meantime, uh, uh, notice that with the Thessalonians here, Paul uh, sends Timothy to, uh, to Thessalonica to help until Paul could, could get back there himself. Um, he sent Timothy to establish and exhort them in their faith, it says there at um, chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, and, and he wanted to establish them and exhort them in their faith, especially in light of their persecution. And that's essentially part and parcel, again, of, of why Paul is writing. Ultimately, he wants the Thessalonians to persevere. to be be blameless in holiness at the end of the race. Um, And and, and so he knows that they need ongoing strengthening and stabilizing and exhorting all along the way to help them get to the end. He wants them to persevere to the end. They need ongoing instruction to help them get to the end. And this is why Paul says in in chapter 3, verse 10... He says that he wants to be with them in order to supply what is lacking in their faith. Um, so, um, meaning I don't think that there's something lacking in their, that initial saving faith in Jesus, accepting the gospel, believing that Paul's words are from God. But, um, but, they're, they're, but they still need, and all of us here today still need, we need ongoing instruction so that we could ever more deeply understand the gospel, ever more deeply understand God's promises and God's designs and God's commands and how all of those bear on our lives and, and, and uh, how we, that should shape our affections and how that should shape the, the, the way we conduct ourselves. All of those things. And all of that, again, ultimately, so that we are found to be blameless in holiness, so that we're found to be worthy of God, so that we're found to be pleasing to God when Jesus comes back at the end. And for the Thessalonians, uh, Timothy helped with that. Uh, Of course, Paul himself is helping with that, with writing this letter. Um, and, And we have the same help today. We have this letter from Paul. We have other letters from Paul. We have the whole Bible. We have one another. We have the pastors of this local church, and we have the Holy Spirit, all of these means of God's grace to help us persevere all the way to the end, which is Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. It is very much God's heart for us, his people. Um, And uh, God's going to help us, and in fact, at the very end of the letter, um, Paul tells us God's going to help us in this. We're not left on our own. At the very end of the letter in chapter 5, he prays a very similar prayer for their holiness. And then at chapter 5, verse 24, he says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Ultimately, God is the one who chose you. God is the one who called you into his people. And ultimately, he will be the one who keeps you faithful all the way to the end. It's an incredible promise that we have from God. And again, Timothy, uh, he helped with that for the Thessalonians. Paul is just thrilled uh, at what Timothy has to say, actually, about the Thessalonians. Uh, He finds out that actually the Thessalonians are doing pretty well in the face of their persecution. Paul's just thrilled about this. And and part of the reason why Paul is so thrilled by this is that actually, in some way, the Thessalonians themselves are going to play a, a key part in Paul's own experience of Jesus coming back. The way, the way Paul will experience the end. Somehow the Thessalonians are going to play a key part in that. In fact Paul says that the Thessalonians will be his crown. They, they'll be like his finisher's medal we could say. Um, at chapter 2 verse 19 he says they'll be his crown and um, Paul probably, well very likely is referring there to to a, a wreath that um, would be given to winners of, of athletic games, the, of Greek athletic games. They would get a wreath. We think about a trophy. We think about a medal. Um, they would get wreaths. Uh, so that's the crown that Paul is talking about there. And he, and, and, it's, and he says that for him, actually part of the joy of his own experience of sort of crossing the finish line, we could say, is that the Thessalonians would be there to cross with him. Um, it would be evidence, in a sense, of Paul's own success in, doing, in being faithful to what God has called him to do. Namely, preach the gospel, plant churches. He can say, the Thessalonians, evidence that I've been successful in that. They're my trophy. They're my crown um, in that regard. And uh, really, Paul is just talking like a parent here. In, in, in reality, he's talking like a loving parent. And I think if you're a parent, you get this. You get that, that uh, in, in some weird way, there's a certain amount of joy in your life they, that, that is really tied to how well your kids actually follow out with the wisdom and the instruction that you've imparted to them. Uh, there's a certain amount of joy and a certain amount of appropriate pride when you see your children walking out in the ways that you have instructed them. And so this is, this is language of a loving parent here. So in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, for, we, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. We live, he says. In other words, this is what's most important to us. He's talking as a loving parent. This is what's most important to us. It's that you're, you're walking in the truth. It's that you're standing fast in, uh, in continuing to trust in Jesus. Paul cares very much about the Thessalonians. and He wants them to know that he wants to reassure them, reassure them of that so that they will be spurred on and encouraged to keep on keeping on all the way uh, to the end of the race. And, and, of course, that's God's heart for us as well. It's not just to the Thessalonians some 2,000 years ago. That's God's heart for us as people here today. And uh, in the meantime, still short of that final end time when Jesus does come back, Paul knows that the Thessalonians and, and of course, all of us, we still need that ongoing help to persevere. And uh, so we still need further Uh, instruction, ongoing instruction. Um, We still need uh, help with that. Paul mentions uh, again in that chapter 3, verse 10, again he mentions the wanting to supply what is lacking in their faith. And and again, not that their saving faith initially was somehow lacking, but they needed help with ongoing instruction to know how that saving faith really applies and how it bears on different circumstances um, that they will face. And so at this point in the letter then, um, really the end of chapter 3, Paul here is essentially setting up the Thessalonians for some of that further instruction that he will give. He wants to get to them, see them face to face, but in the meantime he's going to give them some instruction here in a letter form in the next couple chapters. And uh, Doug Moo uh, points out that probably, um, and I think he's right here, I think he, he says that the, the, the prayer here in verses 12 to 13. Um, uh, in part, that's that's meant to help the Thessalonians to anticipate again some of that instruction that he's going to give in the next couple chapters. Really, up to this point, it's been a lot of narrative about Paul and his relationship to the Thessalonians and vice versa, and what God is doing. Well, he's tr- transitioning now, and the next couple chapters are going to be a lot of instruction. Um, and so, um, uh, pro- Paul. So, in, in verses twelve to thirteen in that prayer there. Paul probably pointing out ahead to hint at some instruction um, uh, in holiness as it relates to sexual conduct and also um, uh, love as it relates to loving others. Uh, And we're going to see that um, some of those issues come up in the first parts of chapter 4. And then also, for example, with the mention of Jesus coming back in verse 13, probably a pointer out to instruction that's going to come related to questions surrounding Jesus coming back, um, and we'll see uh, that in the the last part of chapter 4 and on into chapter 5. And again, all of this has to do with Paul's deepest concern, his deepest reason really for writing. Again, it's that the Thessalonians would persevere to the end, and they would be found finally at the end when Jesus returns, that they would be found blameless in holiness that they would be pleasing to God, that they would be worthy of God, in other words. Now, he's been clear with them all along, I think, up to this point in the letter. And we should hear, uh, uh, if we are God's people, we should hear God being clear to us here. He's been clear um, with the Thessalonians and for us, if we're God's people, that in fact, we are God's people. We are elective God. uh, They are chosen. They are loved. And yet they need more instruction. Uh, They they need more instruction even so to be more stabilized in that identity, uh, to be more stabilized in living out of that identity in various uh, circumstances. Again, ultimately, so that they and we would be blameless uh, in holiness when Jesus comes back. That's what Paul wanted for the Thessalonians. That's the reason why uh, he was writing them. And this is, again, just his core heart for them And it's God's heart for us as well. So if you are trusting in Jesus for it, then be reminded here today, be reassured here today, okay, as Paul was trying to reassure the Thessalonians of some things, be reassured yourselves today that you are God's people if you're trusting Jesus for that. You've been called, you've been chosen. God loves you. He's concerned about you. He wants like crazy for you to persevere, to keep going, to finish the race. And he is working on your behalf uh, to bring that uh, to pass. Again, with that uh, chapter 5, verse 24, he who, uh, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word here this morning, and I would pray simply Uh, again, that you would cause us, in light of the things I've said here, to simply believe what's true. And you would cause us to live um, accordingly. That you'd cause us to lean on the Holy Spirit um, and to uh, lean on your fellow people, our fellow people of God, uh, to lean on your instruction in the Word, um, to live that life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.